Hello, campgoers, and welcome to Circuit Court Entertainment, where we look at the legal and historical context behind media. Today, we are looking at a highly successful multimedia property, but whose legal battles may mean its end, Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th debuted on May 9th, 1980, and it was a massive success. It had a minuscule $550,000 budget, roughly $2 million today, and its two biggest stars were pre-fame Kevin Bacon and a middle-aged Broadway star and ex-game show panelist, Betsy Palmer. And Ms. Palmer only took the role of Mrs. Voorhees in order to buy a new, modest car after her current one broke. The movie made roughly $60 million adjusted for inflation. The profit margin was amazing. The final third of the movie is absolutely spectacular. And it was designed as a quick knockoff of Carpenter's Halloween. No, really. They've admitted to that openly. So, that was the game plan. Just film some teenagers playing on the beach, borderline softcore sequence about halfway through, and then lots of gruesome deaths. There's not much to the plot. If you ask people to describe what a slasher is, they will probably just describe an amalgamation of Friday the 13th movies. Horny teens are in the woods, and then someone kills them in gruesome ways. And yes, Friday the 13th Part 1 has some of that. But it also is different from the later movies, and pop culture osmosis. The main villain is not Jason, but Pamela Voorhees, his mother. In the first movie, he is assumed dead, and she is trying to keep the camp from reopening by any means necessary. He does show up as a last-minute jump scare that may or may not be the dream of our final girl, Alice Hardy. Or rather, not just final girl, but Alice is the last person alive. And that's why she's my favorite. While Friday the 13th films had varying quality and box office success, they did manage to survive until 2002 with Jason X, and then after that the crossover Freddy vs. Jason, which was just an excuse for the two powerhouses of slashers, also now owned by the same company, to fight. There was also one reboot attempt in 2009, which was based on the movies where Jason was the slasher, not part one where it was Mrs. Voorhees. But after 2009, Friday the 13th mostly disappeared. There's a handful of comics, either tying into the original films or a sequel to Freddy vs. Jason called Freddy vs. Jason vs. Ash of the Evil Dead. But those ended in 2009. There was a TV show in 1987, but that had nothing to do with the movies. Famously, not even The Mask showed up. And the show was a syndicated horror series about two cousins collecting cursed objects. Post-2010, the only new Friday the 13th thing were two video games. An asymmetrical horror game teased in 2017, where you played as Jason or various counselors trying to escape. And a stylized puzzle game in 2018 where Jason kills various teens. By the way, there's a dedicated uh, soundtrack button. <laughs> And uh, you, Mrs. Voorhees' head gives hints. It's really cute. I know that sounds really weird, but uh, it's just a little, it's delightful in these weird ways. Meanwhile, in 2018, Halloween came out with a new movie. It made $260 million on a $10 million budget. It was lauded for its marrying of new takes while staying true to the original characters. And it's, and it's gruesome. <laughs> Take again. Meanwhile, in 2018, Halloween came out with a new movie. It made $260 million on a $10 million budget. It was lauded for its marrying of new takes while staying true to the original characters. 
and its gruesome kills. It spawned two sequels, it was part of a resurgence of horror in the modern day to general audiences, and create a wave of legacy sequels, such as Candyman and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even Robert Eglund, who played Freddy Krueger on Nightmare on Elm Street, mused about Freddy coming back. So, where was Friday the 13th? The three icons of slashers are Freddy, Jason, and Halloween's Michael Myers. Texas Chainsaw Massacre's Leatherface often takes a fourth position. With all the buzz, why was Friday so silent? Well, it all goes back to deliciously thorny copyright law. So complicated, you need one of Jason's machetes to cut through it. To start at the beginning, we need to look at a detail of copyright law itself. Specifically, a lesser-used part that states if someone sells a property, but it turns out to be much more successful than anyone thought, they can sue after 35 years to get the property back. Let's say I wrote a book. This book is about a detective solving cases around the world, but he's only in these places because he's running from the law. I sell the movie rights to fictional company Inc. for $1,000. They intend to put it in their January slate, and they expect it to gross like $5,000 from it. Modest has rooms for sequels, but if it fails, their budget isn't too worried. Except it ends up being an absolute smash hit. It runs for months, gets shows on TV all the time, and gets turned into a TV show and becomes a mid-budget franchise aimed at adults that always grossed about $1 million over budget and marketing. It becomes a real staple of pop culture, with parodies and rewriting how people talk about fictional detectives. After 35 years, I can sue fictional company Inc. to get the rights back, because I feel like I've been underpaid for this property. And that is exactly what happened with Friday the 13th in 2016. Victor Miller, the undisputed writer of Friday the 13th, sued Horror Inc. and producer Sean S. Cunningham over the rights to Friday the 13th. Miller claimed that he wrote Friday the 13th with Cunningham and sold him the rights. However, Cunningham claimed that Miller was employed by Horror Inc.'s predecessor company and therefore had no rights to the manuscript. To make matters worse, no one kept documentation from that time, so there aren't any employment records or similar to help clear this up. To clarify, an independent contractor is someone who is hired by a company for a certain project. They do not get paid any real benefits from the company, but they do have control. In a work-for-hire relationship, they work until they are fired, leave, or the job ends in another way, and have to follow the company's rules, but also get benefits and materials. This will be important later. To make matters more complicated, well, let me refer back to the description of the first movie at the beginning. While Jason is one of the most well-known slashers and synonymous with Friday the 13th, he's not the killer in the first one. His mother is. His name gets tossed around a few times, and he appears as a decaying, drowned kid in a jump scare that wasn't in the original script. In fact, reportedly, Miller hated Jason, especially once he became the face of the franchise. What Miller is suing is for the original script and elements of the original script. Camp Crystal Lake, Pamela Voorhees, the first group of camp counselors, including My Girl Alice, and the original version of Jason. But can you have Hockey Mask Jason without original Jason? If you have Hockey Mask Jason, can you have him without Camp Crystal Lake and his love for his mother? They've taken Jason away from the camp before, and it doesn't really work. Jason's love for his mother is what makes him different from the other slashers like Michael Myers. I'm going to cut down on the back and forth, but basically a large part of Cunningham's argument 
was over how the WGA credits and establishes writing conditions for scripts. But after five years, in 2021, Miller was decided to be the sole owner of the domestic distribution of items just in the first movie. In the appellate decision, they cited Community for Creative Nonviolence from this point forward, CCNV, versus Reed, and their decision in favor of Miller, the writer. The cited court case involved a charity, CCNV, hiring a sculptor, Reed, to make a statue. CCNV gave ideas in some directions, but Reed made the final decisions and supplied his own tools and workplace. Once Reed was paid, both parties applied for copyright. It was initially decided in CCNV's favor, as Reed was work for hire, but the Supreme Court unanimously voted for in Reed's favor. They pointed out that the sculpture was not specially ordered or commissioned. He was also not treated like an employee of the company, because he received no company benefits, worked on his own schedule, and using his own tools and choice of medium. The court ruled that made him an independent contractor. And we see this in the Miller case, too. Both sides agree they were just pulling a script together, and the employment agreement itself was very informal. It's unclear if Miller received any benefits, but he was definitely only hired to make a script that could compete with Halloween, and he wrote it more or less on his own time. After five years, a lot of debris was left in the lawsuit's wake. The Friday the 13th game, after a really rocky start, had gained a lot of momentum by this point. New skins, new game modes, and it was teasing a future content when the lawsuit told them they had to just stop. Cunningham had given him the license in 2015 after the developers had initially planned it to be more of a love letter to the campy slashers of the yesteryear, of which Friday the 13th was one, but not the only one. While the license got a lot of attention that they would not have gotten without it, it was also a massive double-edged sword. Friday fans were starved for new media with Jason, and famously overwhelmed their server count in the opening days, leading to people waiting quite a while to play matches that still had many, many glitches. And this was before the lawsuit. The new slasher boom is drawing to a close with Halloween ends. Movies like X, Freaky, and Fear Street filled in the gap where a new Friday could have gone. Nightmare didn't come back either, but with Nightmare's director Wes Craven's death in 2015 and Robert Eglin now 76, a legacy sequel in the vein of Halloween would have been harder to put together. Especially as we already had Wes Craven's new Nightmare, which fulfills the legacy sequel's purpose anyway. Friday the 13th the game will be formally delisted on December 31st of 2023, with the service shut down in 2020 and the game ceasing function in 2024. For the puzzle game, the license wasn't renewed and was removed from storefronts January 2023. As for the future, we just don't know. Peacock has the Crystal Lake TV series from Brian Fuller and production company A24. My Girl Alice's actress, Adrian King, is in it in an unknown role, and supposedly Fuller and A24 have access to the whole canon. But after announcing they would write the series in January of this year, all we got was a coming 2024 hashtag. While I'm sure they were held up as the writers and actors fight to get better deals, Brian Fuller's shows tend to be critically acclaimed but have low numbers, and streaming numbers are still a massive question. Cunningham is trying to set up another continuity reboot, presumably one where it's just adult Jason, since he owns that, but nothing else has really been said. 
In fact, while a reference to the movie was in his cameo page initially, it has since been removed. It's unclear why it was removed, but it does imply the movie has run into trouble. There's some new merchandise and a Shout DVD collection, but the Friday the 13th servers are all still down. Despite being post-lawsuit, the puzzle game couldn't renew the license. Jason also hasn't shown up elsewhere, such as Halloween Horror Nights or the, or the Friday the 13th, the game competitor, Dead by Daylight. Horror itself is doing fine. In fact, we have a lot of great new horror movies out there. From Nope to Jennifer's Body's reappraisal to The Cabin in the Woods to Midsummer to It to Ready or Not, Friday the 13th's time may be over. Friday's quality has always been uneven, nonsensical, and schlocky. People go to these movies for blood and boobs, but the trend now is elevated horror. And while horror has always reflected the fears of the time, and many of them did have something to say, look at The Thing, Alien, or join Dracula Daily for next year. Friday started off with something surface level, but rapidly decreased. Halloween Ends is a movie I have many thoughts on, and yeah, the selling of the rights off for a TV show is something I should probably dig into at some point. But it also felt like a close on the old slashers. Laurie killed Michael, and Michael's protege is dead too. Freddy was permanently killed in 1991's Nightmare 6. Sure, he came back for Freddy vs. Jason, and there was a reboot, but even in Freddy vs. Jason, Freddy was trying to come back to life. Freddy's reboot in 2009 did badly. Leatherface had a Netflix movie back in 22, and it was bad. There's been a few slashers stepping in to fill these roles. Sam from Trick or Treat, Ghostface from Scream is an in-universe throwback to the old slasher designs, and Megan was a surprise sensation. But besides Ghostface, which is very intentional, none of them quite hold the power like the old slasher icons did. Horror isn't dead. Slashers as a concept aren't really dead either. But the type of slasher that Friday the 13th is, it could be. Then again, we've been wrong about Jason being dead before. Thank you for listening to Circuit Court Entertainment. If you found this episode interesting, please tell others as this is a new podcast. Please subscribe on all the major podcast services. And you can find me on Twitter at CCEPod. This episode was written, edited, and recorded by me, Mina. The script was edited by CJ Peterson. Podcast art by Empress Cirque on Twitter. Thank you for your time, and I hope to hear from you soon. Bye.